On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about snow days. Uh, we're having none. City of Hamilton is not going to be having any in the public school board anyway. And not everyone is thrilled with this. Teachers unions, not all that excited. There's a reason for that. We'll talk to one of the union reps about that. We're also going to be talking about school. Hamilton Wentworth District School Board got a huge hand from the provincial government this week that saved the board from being way, way, way in deficit. We'll talk to Alex Johnstone, chair of the board, about what that means. And if all that education was too much, we're going to talk Hallmark Christmas movies. No education needed then. Just sit down and watch Christmas in all of its glory. We're going to talk to an Ontario guy who is a writer and director and consultant for these movies. Uh, He'll explain the formula and a bunch of other stuff that goes on. It's working, whatever it is. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Seems that we are not going to have, if you have kids in school anyway, or if you're a teacher, we're going to have no snow days this year, not because we are good at forecasting the weather. We're not. I mean, Jay McQueen is. I'm not. Uh, But it's for other reasons that schools apparently are not going to be having them this year, uh, which is a bit sad, I suppose, because we all remember very vividly, I'm sure, waking up in the morning and looking out the window and seeing a foot of snow and then flicking on 900 CHML to find out whether our school was closed, which was second only to Christmas morning as the greatest day or days of the year. But with everything going on right now and with so many kids already learning online from home and with so much class time lost already, the boards are saying, you know what, if the situation arises this year, if we do have snow days, things are just going to carry on. We're going to do it entirely online. This has not been necessarily met with grand applause from the teachers unions, as we've heard in the past couple of days. They're not really happy about it. Many of them anyway. Uh, Jeff Sorensen is president of the Hamilton Wentworth Elementary Teachers Local. He joins us tonight. Jeff, how are you tonight? Good. How are you today, Scott? Listen, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm assuming, and and that's a bad place to start from, so let me not assume. What is your position on this? Um, Well, for years, I'll just give you the background. For years, we argued that uh, when a private bus company determined that it was unsafe to put buses on the road, that it was also unsafe for staff and students to attend the schools. so in terms of safety, uh, remote teaching or remote learning, uh, learning virtually, uh, seems to satisfy that safety concern. Um, what we're troubled at is, is, well, for a variety of reasons, we don't think it's going to be a useful day uh, for parents, and we don't think it's going to be an equitable day for students. Um, there is the second issue, and, and I apologize, nothing against the media, um, was the way that um, we found out, and when I say we, I mean the employees of the HWDSB, uh, we found out this change in policy, this radical change in policy, uh, not from our employer, but from the media, uh, from parents. And so uh, I'm not sure how that discussion became public or in the media, um, but that's certainly one issue. But I'm suspecting that what we want to talk about is what happens when the weather is bad Mm. and uh, it's not about communication between an employer and the employees. It's about uh, what happens when it's snowy outside. Jeff, let me assure you that was the most gentle attack on the media in history. (laughs) 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 What we usually get is far more vicious. So you, you're, you're doing fine right now. Um, Okay. So had there been though, let's go to that second one first. All right. We'll deal with the other issues in a moment. Had there been consultation 
Yeah. What would the recommendations, best you know, what would the recommendations from the unions have been towards the discussion of school days? Let, let's pretend for a second that there were that those happened and you were sitting with the government or the board. What would you have asked for? Well, we would have asked for it to be properly resourced and uh, properly conducted. Um, you know, to go remotely, and I think you know we've got about 20% of our students remote now, Um <laughs> We're hearing studies now that, that those who are learning remotely are, are falling behind those students who are showing up in schools. Uh, we know that there are inequities of, of remote access. We know there's inequities in terms of uh, digital devices at home. We know that in lower socioeconomic neighborhoods where parents can't be present to help in remote learning, that kids aren't engaging. Um, so we know that every time there's a snow day, What's going to happen is that achievement gap is going to grow. Uh, we know that the students who are resourced, who have the infrastructure, you know, might find a valuable day out of it. Uh, but we know that a good portion of our students are going to be falling further and further and further behind, and that achievement gap is going to grow, like I said. So we would say if you're going to do this, do this right. Make sure that everybody has the equipment. Make sure that everybody has the infrastructure. Um and then, but that could be years, right? That could be years for that to be in place for everyone to have that stuff. So how do you deal with it now? Because we're talking about this year. Well, I mean, we know that the board just got money to to uh, purchase devices because of COVID. Uh, we've gone from zero to 150 since uh, March 13th. Um, if we have a will, a political will, if our board has a political will, we can make sure that there is infrastructure and that there is fairness. Um you know, uh, we want people to learn, but we want to make sure people learn fairly. Uh, universal free public education was is supposed to be the great leveler in a democracy. Uh, and we know that when kids have a parent uh, at home with them to help them with the tech issues, we know that if, if they've got the bandwidth, that it's much more a valuable day uh, for some than it is for others. Um, so... You know, very little discussion about that. I, I think there's a desire to squeeze every moment of every day out uh, and to think that it's going to be universally beneficial. And, and, and it's simply not the case. Um, and I don't think the board has thought that through. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jeff Sorensen is president of the Hamilton Wentworth Elementary Teachers Local. Just before the break, he pointed out a couple of the issues. One of them... Um, is the lack of consultation that the unions say they received. That's, you know, uh, look, I've never understood why the sides can never get together and do this properly. But Jeff, the other one you mentioned just a moment ago is the equity thing. And let me jump into that for just a second, because I I, I absolutely hear this. And I I think at its core, I think there is validity to what you're saying. But at the same time, if a kid or a number of kids are missing from school for a day or two or three because they have the flu, we don't say we have to stop everyone else from learning because they could fall behind because they are now not in the same equal position with the students who attended school. So even if there is someone who doesn't have great internet or something, how is it different from simply looking at it like, you know, everybody misses a day or two along the way? Well, everybody does miss a day or two and, and teachers are required to catch those students up on their missing work. So uh, it's not as simple as saying you missed three or four days of school because you had a cough. Uh, so sad, too bad. I guess you've lost out on the learning. Uh, teachers work very hard to get kids caught up. You know, and I want to 
go back to how you started off the, the interview when you said everybody remembers the, the the joy of waking up and listening to CHML and sure. getting a, the, the the call. Um, you know, what's one of our issues is, you know, are we going to have buy-in from families and communities uh, and students? Are we going to have three out of 25 kids dialing in? Uh, you know, when we have bad weather days that aren't called snow days, we often have teachers looking out onto empty classrooms. And then, of course, we have to reteach the very next day uh, the same item over again. So that's going to be happening. The other thing is with remote learning, and this is a problem, you know, a problem with the pandemic situation as well, is that the ministry is very clear, the Ministry of Education, is that teachers are not allowed to assess or report on work that is done uh, away from school. And, you know, because, of course, we can't guarantee that it was work done by the student themselves. <clears throat> so... The work that we're teaching uh, will get, is going to be retaught the next day anyways, and also the work isn't going to be something that we can assign a mark to, that we can evaluate, that we can assess. So um, it, it, it's a work day. It might be a very meaningless work day from a student's or a parent's point of view because there's really, and, and not because teachers won't be logged in, because we suspect parents and kids won't be logged in. But shouldn't we be rewarding the kids who are enthusiastic and diligent who show up for class? I mean, back in the spring when we, when not you guys, when the, the uh, boards or the government said, you know, as of whatever it was, March 11 or March 13, all marks are locked in. We saw those who were, uh, you know, getting involved and still doing their work. And we saw those who checked out. Shouldn't we be rewarding those who show up and do what they're supposed to do? Yeah, I, I that's just not something that we hear in public education. Uh, you know, it's, it's strange to talk about how a six-year-old deserves a reward that in an education is perceived as a reward. Um, we're, we're to help everybody equally, you know, whether it's a new Canadian who barely speaks English, um, whether it's a, a racialized child, whether it's a marginalized economically child, um, there's lots of reasons why kids can't or don't show up. Uh, they might not have that caring adult at home who says it's time to get logged in. You know, I, I have um, I, I'm lucky enough to live in a community where uh, lots of adults uh, get snow days, um, and, and not people in the education sector. Just you know, big banks, big companies, and they just simply call in and say, "Roads look bad. I'm not coming in." And so they're there to support their their children on a snow day because they have the ability not to work and not to lose salary. There's lots of parents in our community uh, who don't have that option, who have to go to work even when the weather's bad, and then their children are left at home. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I can trust an eight-year-old to, to be, you know, have that work ethic to say, it's 8.30, I better log in to do my full day of teaching, uh, and I better solve all my own tech issues. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that's uh, reasonable. And, and I certainly don't want to... To, again, uh, public education is a right. It's not a privilege, from my point of view. And, um, you know, teachers, we go out of our way to get kids educated. We're just sure, not sure that this is the way to do it. Let, let me throw one more thing. We only have a minute left here, Jeff. Let me throw one more thing at you. And I'm telling you something that I know you've heard before. This is not yeah. going to be news to you. No. Uh, and it goes back to what I was just saying a moment ago about the, you know, I, I've never understood why the two sides can't come together. There's going to be a lot of people who believe the teachers and the unions 
complain about everything. So when they hear this and the unions are saying, again, we don't like this, they're just going to say, this is the boy who cried wolf. The, the boards in the province, no matter what they do, the unions complain about it. What do you say to that? Because I, I know you've heard that before. Yeah. And you know what? I fully admit, full transparency here. There's not an employee of the Board of Education for me to the director, Manny Figueredo, who isn't a little excited on a snow day morning. I mean, to, to, to suggest that getting a day off, a bonus day, an unexpected day off is not a treat. That's absolutely true, and I will accept that. Um, when we turn this of lack of consultation, you know, our board prides itself and always talks about this publicly, about how it involves its partners, uh, and the unions are a partner. Uh, and if the board wants to be successful, the way to do that is to include their partners in discussions before they change the policy, uh, before they've they make announcements. Uh, I don't know why the two sides can't seem to get along. (laughs) It's not, at least in this case, it's not us saying, uh, you know, we, we want to hash this out in the media or publicly. Uh, We were sideswiped. I would have preferred to have a discussion and I prefer to have this working. And I, if if the board can show me a plan that works equitably for, for, for all students in Hamilton Wentworth, I'm on board because, as I said in the beginning, it keeps teachers safe because what we don't want to have is a blizzard where teachers are forced to report to work because that's unsafe. Um, We don't want a blizzard where kids uh, are hurt in an attempt to get to school. I mean, that's that's the worst possible scenario. Jeff Sorensen, president of the Hamilton Wentworth Elementary Teachers Local. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this tonight. Thank you very much, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Good news today. It's it's nice that when we get into the Christmas season, we can actually bring some good news. We don't always have that to bring you, but we got some good news today. The Ontario Ministry of Education says that Hamilton Wentworth's district school board will not be out $15.2 million because of a decline in enrollment, as we had originally feared. You can imagine if our school board was suddenly on the hook to find $15.2 million in savings, what that would have meant, what that might have looked like. And maybe you don't want to imagine that. Uh, I've just got this picture of the Grim Reaper sweeping a scythe through the budget book that may be not even dark and dim enough for what this would have looked like. Anyway, the board is going to get its money disaster averted all apparently as well. And keep in mind, this is the second time now in a number of weeks within the city of Hamilton, within the number of months anyway, that we have dodged a massive financial bullet. You'll remember the feds and government, uh, feds and province gave the city millions of dollars not that long ago to offset the deficit the city was running that would have almost certainly led to a massive tax hike for everyone. Clearly, folks in the city are living with horseshoes right now because it is working out. Uh, How fortunate are we? Let me bring in the chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, Alex Johnstone, to talk about this. Alex, thanks for doing this today. Appreciate it. Good evening, Scott. If we, uh, let's get really dire and dark here. We're we're into the Christmas season, so what better? Um, If we had been looking at a 15, roughly million dollar shortfall in the budget, what would have happened? What would that look like? Yeah, so Scott, we were actually looking at an $18.7 million shortfall. Oh, even better. And okay. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, we were very concerned. Um, you saw over the last number of weeks, um, the Board of Trustees 
advocating quite loudly that we needed additional funding, that um, if we did not receive additional funding, the concern was that we were going to need to pass a deficit budget and that when you boards pass deficit budgets, they must pay themselves back. Um, so we were very concerned that in order to meet the needs of students today, we were going to have to make significant program cuts for students of tomorrow at just the time when our most vulnerable students and students across the city would be in need of additional programming. Uh, Hopefully, you know, at a time where things would be returning back to normal. Um, But of course, knowing all of all the disruptions that have taken place this past year, it was going to be uh, particularly vulnerable for our students. We had been quite vocal here in Hamilton that although we were not formally identified as a code red emergency uh, school board like some of the other boards across Ontario, Toronto, Peel, Ottawa, New York, um, we still had significantly higher levels of COVID spread within the community that we were then dealing with locally at our school board, which meant that we had higher rates, higher needs of um, staffing coverage, higher needs of technology as we had um, uh, over 25% of our elementary students uh, learning from home. Um, so the need to provide tech and of course, all of our secondary students are only in school, um, in class every day and a half. So we we had significant increase of, of needs this past year or the, over this past few months. And uh, so we were very concerned um, about the risk that it was putting um, us in. And um, I made the comment a few weeks ago that we always hear that school boards need to trim the fat. And our board has trimmed the fat. In fact, we were down to the bare bones as we were looking at our budget. So Okay, so what would that have point- meant then? Alex, in, yeah. in real terms, then, if you it, now, and just to be clear, you're, uh, of course, you're correct. The, the 18 million deficit, 15.2 is what the province has said they're going exactly. to give back. So it's, it's whittled it way back. That was where I got that number. So thank you for the correction. But in, in real terms, 15.2 million, in terms people can understand of bodies or programs, whatever, what would 15.2 million have meant? million as we look to say the year, the year ahead. Um, So we would have, we would have still gone into deficit in order to, to do the spending in order to ensure that we had proper supply coverage in order to ensure that we had enough tech um, in order to ensure that we were able to continue to purchase PPE and uh, meet our needs sufficiently. But what it would mean is that in the future years, we would be having to make significant budget cuts. When we look at what is um, um, in place under the Education Act that is protected um, or what is not protected, it's almost always your programs for your special education students, for um, any kind of specialized programming, all of that would have been um, um, taken back in order to balance the budget. As under the law, boards are required to balance our budget. Now, the minister did make um, a special exception um, back at the beginning of, um, of September, the end of August, where he announced that school boards could go into deficit by 2%. Uh, we had just written the ministry two weeks ago to say that we needed to go beyond the 2%, that um, that we needed to go into even a greater deficit because our needs were, were that large. But this overall, Scott, this is a good news story. This puts us um, almost back in the black. Um, and for the outstanding um, 3.5 million, that is something that we can we can deal with, and that we would hope to um, 
uh, find a way to um, um, to address that uh, 3.5 million over the year uh, and deal with it internally. Uh, with regards to, we also received 1.6 million dollars. Um, for our high priority areas with regards to um, additional PPE and technology. So so there was also, on top of the 15.2, we are also getting 1.6 in order to uh, cover some of our additional PPE costs. So this, this is a good news story. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Alex Pierce, Alex Pearson, Alex Johnstone. Alex Pearson is up next after this show. Alex Johnstone is on right now. She is the chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. Sorry for that, Alex. Um, no the, problem. The, the, um, instead of cuts, could the school board had have said, look, we can't possibly, even with deficit, because even if we take a deficit, we've got to pay that back in the next year or two. So there's going to be massive cuts somewhere. Could you have gone to the city and said, we want to just jack up the levy significantly so taxpayers, ratepayers in the city just get a 10% school board increase that would have covered this? Is that within your purview? It's not. So um, raising the tax levy uh, for school boards ended over a, uh, well over a decade ago, a couple. Um, so I believe that was 97 or 98. Um, so the, it's actually set provincially and everyone across the province pays into a single, um, into a single pot. And it's the province that divvies up um, money for each of the school boards, and it's based on enrollment. So that's actually why we were experiencing a huge um, budget shortage was because we had a number of students who did not return to school um, or did not enroll as projected. Um, Perhaps they decided to do home learning, especially we saw that with our kindergarten students here in Hamilton and across the province. And the concern there is that... um, um, if you're having to, to make program cuts, then the very students that you're looking to attract back into the, into the school system, your school system no longer looks attractive. So it becomes this kind of domino effect or the self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, I know that our school board, we would have, um, uh, we would have been hard pressed to have made those cuts. Uh, we were very concerned about it. And I think really, Scott, what the story speaks to is, how important it is to have strong advocates um, and strong um, and effective locally elected officials. I think oftentimes we we don't think about the school board or we don't think about our school board trustee. They certainly get the lowest amount of votes uh, when it comes to your municipal elections. But during this pandemic in education, you've seen our school board um, as well as the Hamilton Catholic School Board and school boards across the province be really strong of articulating the needs of our community so that we can get the resources that we need. Um, Each week, we uh, chairs across the province have access to the minister. We have weekly phone calls with the minister. I've actually never experienced that before, never heard of that before, and very much appreciate that opportunity to connect with Minister Lecce on a weekly basis. Um, And during those phone calls, uh, that is where chairs are raising the issues of their local school boards, as well as in our school board meetings. Uh, we're writing letters. Um, but all of that communication is really important, uh, and especially uh, now because we do feel heard um, now that we are receiving the funding that we did ask for. 
Let's look forward for just a minute here. Um, there, there's a there's an old farmer's adage that um, you store things up when things are good, and then you have them ready when things are tough. Uh, we've dodged this bullet, thankfully, for the most part. Is this something the board would ever consider in the future? Is tightening the belt somehow a little bit here or there? Not raising the levy. You can't do that, obviously. Not making gigantic cuts, but finding some things to be able to put more money into the reserve. So if there's ever another horrible situation like this we don't face the same problem or at least not as an extreme a problem well scott we actually here in hamilton we're in a much stronger position than most boards across the province and that was thanks to the fiscal um uh, responsibility and uh, that we have shown over the last number of years we have an excellent staff team who is um the head of our finance and facilities um has been very frugal over the years in terms of ensuring that we were able to put money away for a rainy day. And, and those rainy day funds are called the reserve. Um, earlier at the, um, this past fall, uh, the city heard me talk about that we have reserves for rainy days and the flood is now here and that we needed to spend that money. Not all boards were in a position to spend funds, mainly because they didn't have them available, either because their boards were so small, so they did not have the ability to accumulate um, uh, the amount of funds that, say, our board had, um, or because they had had major projects or they had undergone spending um, and had already allocated those funds. Our board was not in that position, and it was because of our um, our really it was our fiscal responsibility over the last number of years um, that we were in a position to act when we needed to. So um, I would say to that, Scott, that we will continue to do exactly what we have been doing over the last number of years, uh, which is uh, continuing to meet the needs of our most vulnerable students. We always put um, that as a priority. Um, but also, uh, we, we don't have out of control spending. And certainly during, um, this pandemic, we've been very clear that our needs have been all about meeting our health and safety needs. Um, that this was an unusual year that we needed additional help. Um, but it also helped that we were in a position to spend reserves when we needed to. Alex Johnstone, chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. Thank you for the time today. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having us. We, we always appreciate coming on the show, Scott. Uh, it is, um, I'm going to go to the news break in just one second, then we got hour number two of the show coming up. Just one thing in case anyone thinks that I am uh, forgetting something. Uh, I, I do realize that taxpayers' money is all from the same pocket. So when we say the city has dodged a bullet because it's got this money for the school board or for the city, um, it's still taxpayers' money. I am highly aware of that. Some And we do look at the province now, massive deficits. The country, we've talked about it this week, enormous, unprecedented, incalculable almost deficits. You know, the only difference is that school boards and municipalities are not permitted by law to run deficits. And so the impact is felt much more acutely right away. That's where we dodge the bullet. But ultimately, yeah, you're, you're paying. It's tax dollars. I get it. So we haven't completely dodged a bullet. Just a little one. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It seems as though you cannot turn on your television these days without coming across a Hallmark Christmas movie. 
There are, I think, right now, more Hallmark movies in circulation than stars in the sky. <laughs> they are just, it is an unbelievable factory, a production line that makes these. They are just nonstop. And some of you are rolling your eyes going, yeah, okay, I get it. Others can't get enough. Absolutely can't get enough. In our household, I must say, um, my PVR is almost full right now because there are people in the house who have decided we are recording every single Hallmark Christmas movie. I think there was less footage of the entire Donald Trump administration than there is when you break it all down to the amount of minutes and hours of Hallmark Christmas movies. Anyway, it is, uh, it is a fun thing for Christmas. And there's an Ontario guy who has been involved in many ways with Hallmark Christmas movies. He, so he is a bit of an expert. He's been a screenwriter. Uh, he has been an, um, uh, consultant. He has been a director now and his new film that he's directing a timeless Christmas debuts Saturday up here on the W network. If you get that network, uh, his name is Ron Oliver. We've had him on the show before. And I said, it's time to get Ron back again. Ron, how are you? You know, Scott, I'm fine, actually. I'm fine. I believe the one I, um, told you, I think it's the Melania. I think it's Melania, maybe? No, no, that might not be right. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 everything's great, Scott. We've got Christmas movies at the Wazoo, as you were mentioning. Yes. And, uh, and, and people can't get enough of them. You're right. The, the numbers of our, our movie, A Timeless Christmas, premiered down here. Uh, in the States back uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was the highest rated um, show on cable of the day, and then the highest rated show on cable of the whole week. Of Congratulations. Before, we beat a bunch of network shows, too. Yeah, so everybody's really in, uh, in good spirits about it, because it turned out really well. Well, so there's close to 40 new Hallmark movie, Hallmark Christmas movies this year, plus the ones that they replay from previous years. Um, and I didn't even, it's not just that, Ron, I, I also realized, I learned recently that on Amazon, you can now buy a Hallmark Christmas movie watching merchandise, uh, just oh, in yeah. case that people in the household didn't know you were watching one, that you, your sweatshirt or socks or pants or hat or jacket or whatever can say you are. Um, explain that it's huge. Explain this phenomenon if you can. Well, a little bit of it has to do with the situation we're in right now with this, uh, you know, Scott, they have this thing now called the pandemic. <laughs> I hadn't heard. And, and no, it's all new. The kids are all talking about it. Um, <laughs> what it is basically is people are looking for some comfort, uh, visual comfort food. And Christmas is the ultimate nostalgic comfort food when you think about it because most people i mean not everybody obviously but most people have have happy memories of their christmas in their childhood and so much of these um the experience of watching these films is like going back to their happy childhood it makes them comfortable and happy and right now during uh during these unprecedented times scott um it makes people feel good um to enjoy a, a movie that they know is not only is it going to bring them some Christmas joy and, and cheer and so forth, but it's also going to have a happy ending because uh, that's what we try to deliver on, on the Hallmark pictures. So. But there are, and I don't disagree with you. I think you're onto something. And I think this year you're right more than ever, but it, I mean, it's been going on for years now, even before the pandemic. So there's clearly something else there. But the other thing is, Ron, is that it's not just the, I mean, you could find, schmaltzy Christmas movies all over Netflix, all over television everywhere, all over every streaming service, yet somehow these ones seem to be the ones that really have become the thing. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out what the, well, what, the, what the magic essence is that makes that happen. 
You know, a lot of it is, uh, Hallmark is considered the gold standard when it comes to Christmas movies, for sure. And a lot of that has to do with the uh, the team that they've assembled at the network. Our, our executives there are very, very, very good at what they do. And um, people will often say to me, you know, because I've made a lot of different movies, all kinds of stuff, from horror movies to comedies to everything. Um, but these Christmas pictures have really taken off, and they've they seized the public's imagination in a way that some stuff often doesn't. And, and a lot of it has to do with sort of hitting the right notes in these movies. And that's Hallmark uh, holds themselves quite to a quite high standard to hit these notes to make sure that there's, you know, the, the Christmas tropes of the hot chocolate and the gingerbread man, the candy canes, and always the romance in the middle someplace and family stuff. You know, and this year um, they've tried very hard because they've had criticism in the past and not always warranted, but sometimes um, that perhaps the Hallmark universe wasn't as, um, far-reaching as it could have been when it comes to ethnic diversity and, and um, uh, you know, sexual diversity and so forth. So it's so this year they, in particular, uh, went out to to make, as they keep saying, to us a, a larger table at the holiday season to bring more people into it. And, you know, the truth is that, that there has always been pretty diverse characters working in the pictures and working behind the scenes in front of the camera. But I think this time around they had to really focus on it and concentrate more. I think that's what's happening, too, is it reaching a broader audience by bringing more of the audience into the movie uh, so you can actually see yourself in these films, you know. You gave um, what I would argue, uh, you were doing an interview with the Toronto Star a couple of years ago, which is how I actually learned about you and your connection and your Ontario ties and everything else. Um, because for people who don't know, you're from a little place uh, about halfway between here in Hamilton and Tobermory called Dundalk. That's originally now you're down living at, you told me earlier today, in the glorious weather of Palm Springs, which we're not even going to talk about because it's uh, much oh, nicer it's than here. Nightmare, Scott. It's a nightmare. Yeah, I'm sure. It hit 80 today. I had to put a sweater on. <laughs> but you gave what I would say is one of the greatest quotes ever when you did that interview about anything. <laughs> uh, and let me read it to you. And then I want you to explain it. Here it is. You take, we're talking about the template or how you make a Hallmark Christmas movie. You take the same stuff you do in a regular movie and you Christmas the crap out of it. <laughs> what what <laughs> does that mean? That's, that's, that sounds like me. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> what it, well, what it means is, uh, for example, I'm writing a script right now for uh, another company, for Universal. And it's a, it's a family comedy. And um, I'm doing a scene that literally I'm writing right now. If I was making this scene in a Christmas movie, instead of having two people walking through a, a room or a building, I'd have them walking through a Christmas tree lot where they're going to go buy a Christmas tree. So I, I <laughs> stage scenes in places that actually make sense for Christmas. And instead of people just sitting in a room talking, they're going to be making Christmas cookies or they're going to be, you know, uh, lighting a Christmas fire or, or having a Christmas uh, ugly sweater contest or whatever, you know. So you bring those elements into it. And it's basically the same as you're, you're running a, a picture, like A Time Was Christmas, the, the new one, was basically uh, a rom-com, a time travel rom-com is what this movie is, about a guy who comes from 1903, wakes up in 2020 and discovers that his mansion has been turned into a museum. And now he has to find a way to get back home again. And of course, the young lady who runs the museum falls in love with him and vice versa. And then the question is, will he stay or will he go? And, and it's, a, it's, you know, it's a fish out of water story. But in that, it could have been any time travel situation. But because it's a Christmas movie, we make sure it's happening at Christmas time. And so all the experiences he has, he's learning about the, the present through a Christmas prism as opposed to just a day-to-day -day life prism. 
Okay. And so, and when you say, you know, again, it's a great quote, Christmas, the crap out of everything. Anyone who's seen a Hallmark Christmas movie, there is, there is at least one scene that exists. I think in everyone, I think there's some sort of federal American law that requires this, that you must have a gazebo in the downtown during the town's tree lighting <laughs> ceremony where people are skating and drinking hot chocolate and she falls or he falls and then they kiss. I mean, it, it is, it seems to be, but at some point, because it's so over the top Christmas in all of these do people not roll their eyes and go oh come on you know what i think they I, i'm sure people do i am sure at some point in time people roll their eyes and go you you can't possibly but then they, they as long as they roll their eyes but then roll them back to watch the rest of the movie <laughs> I don't know what they do with their eyes. you know let them roll the full revolution and just keep watching the picture because the, the truth is that it's a, it's a feel-good experience. And I've been told this year by a lot of people who said that, you know, it, 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 they want to feel good. They want a feel-good movie. Absolutely. And look, as, you know, and I, I, again, as I said before, I've made thrillers and horror movies and all that stuff, and it's all been great fun. But the movies that seem to really attract people and want people, and, and, and they watch them again and again. I mean, we the Timeless Christmas premiered a couple of weeks ago, as I said, down here, and it's rerun a few times, and the numbers have been as high during the reruns as it were during the, the, the initial airing. So people wanted to watch it again and again, which is, that's the other thing, is the Christmas movie is going to be perennials. So you have a Christmas classic, you know, and you want to see it every Christmas. Like, I, I think I probably told you the last time we talked, but every Christmas Eve, I watch the Alistair Sim version of A Christmas Carol, that old black and white Christmas yes. Carol movie. And I know that movie, Inside Out, Upside Down. And every Christmas Eve, I watch that movie. And every Christmas Eve, when Tiny Tim walks, I am a blubbering mess in the kitchen, a blubbering, sobbing mess. And I know the kid's going to walk, you know, he's going to walk, but I'm still crying. I see. I have the same reaction when I watch Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation have his rant. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I just fall apart when that happens. It's yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. absolutely. absolutely. What are, yeah, it takes you back. Ron, what are the other, okay. So I was jokingly talking about the gazebo and the skating. What are the other constants in Hallmark Christmas movies? What are the constants, the, the things, the points you have to hit when you're writing or directing one of these? Well, um, let me think, because, again, Timeless Christmas is a little bit different because it's a fantasy-based film. So it's, uh, you know, th- th- we don't hit all the usual tropes, but we hit enough of them. Uh, there's a gazebo, for sure. Most American, <laughs> small town, most American small towns have a gazebo, you know. and I mean, They do I now. Up, yeah, well, they, yeah, they do. Um, where I grew up, we didn't have a gazebo. Scott, we barely had roads where I grew up. So, you know, it wasn't like it was that sort of experience, but... The, the town, they have a gazebo, and they have, um, obviously, the big town Christmas tree. you got to do the Christmas tree lighting. Um, the aforementioned Christmas tree lot is always good. The walk down the street with all the Christmas decorations. Um, if you're lucky, you can get a, a horse and carriage ride squeezed in there somewhere. Now, the trick with that is that we make a lot of these movies in the summertime. So, like Timeless Christmas, for example, we shot in Vancouver in August. And... I don't know if you've been to Vancouver, but it doesn't snow as much in August as you might think it would. Not, not as and much. Not as much. So, so there you are. We've got to create fake snow everywhere. So you can, you can have your horse and carriage do a, a short run, but every 100 feet of a horse and carriage ride is another $5,000 in snow I've got to spend. So it gets a little bit tricky you know, down that particular path, and we do a lot of CGI stuff. But that's, that's part of the thing. You want the snowy uh, experience. Um, you want childhood memories. There's always something about a memory in these movies and some thing that uh, somebody wanted when they were a kid or some sort of like a toy or a treat or something, you know. 
Um, the cookie I, baking scene, you gotta have the yes. cookie baking scene. It can be gingerbread man. That's a sidebar of the cookie baking scene. It has to be something like that. Um, <laughs> ugly sweaters again are always a lovely um, adjunct. Have a little the ugly sweater uh, contest. Um, Mistletoe has yeah. to appear somewhere. Well, that goes up. Thanks, God. Mistletoe, obviously. <laughs> um, you need the mistletoe. We also, in timeless Christmas, we have Christmas traditions is a big thing. So every family has a tradition or two or three that they follow, you know, and, and the thing that bonds us all is families at Christmas time, regardless of how you define family, we all have our Christmas traditions and they're different, but the fact that they're all traditions makes it the same experience, if you know what I mean. So, so in this movie, um, I created a Christmas tradition for the family in the film. I won't tell you what it is because you have to watch the picture, but it's a very odd Christmas tradition. Um, and it's not quite as strange as the one that, that my husband and I do here in Palm Springs, which is, uh, our friend Nelson, who's in all these movies with us, he's playing Kenny Kwan. He comes for Christmas usually and a couple of other friends. But traditionally, Christmas morning, we dress up in Santa Claus onesies. And then we get on our bikes and we ride downtown to the sleaziest dive bar we can find in Palm Springs. And we have Christmas Bloody Marys first thing in the morning around 7, 7.30 a.m. So then we do that little ride back. And then we stop at people's homes along the way. Not people we know necessarily, just people's homes. So, you know, you've got... Three guys in Santa Claus suits after a couple of cocktails riding a bicycle. It makes for a very Merry Christmas, Scott. A very Merry Christmas. We have only a few seconds left here, but I, I was, you've mentioned it already that you've done other things. I was on your Facebook page today when I was looking up your contact information and, and it's very clear. I mean, you're a fan of Hitchcock. I know that's on there yeah. and you've done all these other things. Can you, when you're directing even a Hallmark Christmas movie, which is so in some ways so templated and you have to hit those points. Can you bring in other influences? Like, is there some way to bring in other things other than just the stuff that people are expecting? Or do you just stick oh, with what people no, know? No, uh, that's a really good question. Absolutely. You can. I mean, Mr. Hitchcock taught us that suspense is the most important thing in the film. So you want to have people wonder what's going to happen next. And so you use those things when I'm writing the script. And then again, when I'm directing the picture, um, you use the tropes that Hitchcock used of, of withholding information and just giving enough to keep the audience on the edge of their seats. Because you want, and I know it sounds ridiculous for me to be saying the edge of your seat, talking about a Christmas picture, but if it's well done, the audience at the every commercial break goes, I can't wait to see what happens next. And that's a big part of it. And that's the, the lessons we learn from, from other film genres you could bring into it and, and um, hopefully make it a better picture. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the spoiler thing, but, and I haven't seen yours yet because we haven't seen it up here, but, uh, I, I would say to keep people on the edge of their seat, wondering what's going to happen next. Usually it's the high powered woman attorney who had to move back to her hometown, who's bumped into her high school sweetheart, decides to give up her career and stick around and run the independent bookstore. But that's just, you know, that's not everyone. It's just 98% of them. Yeah, and fine. I'm like, I'm happy to say that those aren't mine. The last couple I've done, it's not like that at the slightest. And then last year, we did a movie called Christmas at the Plaza that was in, filmed in New York City at the Plaza Hotel. And it was entirely not that. We didn't go anywhere near a small town. So, or a gazebo. There were no gazebos in sight in that one. So, so it's well, to mix it up a little bit. No gazebos. I don't even know if they can call that a Hallmark Christmas movie at that point. Uh, Ron Oliver, Ontario guy who is a writer. He is a director. You can see his new Hallmark Christmas movie, A Timeless Christmas. It's Saturday evening on W Channel W Network up here. Uh, Ron, look, it's always good catching up with you and uh, talking about this. Thanks for taking some time. Have a Merry Christmas. Uh, Scott, you too. Take care, man. Merry Christmas. 
That is, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, as I say, they are, uh, they're not everyone's cup of tea. That's, uh, that's for sure. But for those whose cup of tea it is, am I stretching this out too long? It really is their cup of tea. Uh, law, obviously they've made 39 new Hallmark movies this year. It is abundantly clear. There is a massive audience for this massively. And whether that's you or not, and don't get in around it. There's a massive audience for this stuff. People love this stuff and it's showing no signs of abating, even if many, and Ron says not his, we'll see. Uh, but even though many of them seem to follow a pretty traditional, pretty normal, pretty predictable script line, people love it. They love it. And he says comfort food. I think that's exactly what it is, especially in the year of COVID. Who doesn't need some comfort food? The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.